Libby. And I'm Farron. And this is the tip of the iceberg. I don't give a shit about John Bobbitt. We're speaking normally. <laughs> it's been a while. We were just joking about how it's been a second since we've actually podcasted, and so it feels a little anxious to start because it's yeah. like the first ten seconds are important, but yeah. also, what do you say? You don't want to start out lame. <laughs> is this lame? <laughs> um, no, yeah. this is fine. Oh yeah, yeah, this is normal. This is fine. We're this, I'm normal. Are... You're normal. Yep. Anna's normal. Right. This is Anna. Anna's here. I'm an intern. Yes, she is. Anna is one of our fearless safe project interns. And she's not, she's, she's a BSW practicum intern. Right. So, so she's, she's not filing paperwork as much as she's doing a practicum and learning how to be a good social worker. Yeah. She's doing great. We love her. And going into the master's program. Yes. So that's super exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we are excited today to bring you a story, um, a podcast story about something that people have been talking about a lot, but Mm -hmm. I just barely jumped on the bandwagon. So it's a little bit older, but I just barely got there. Yep. How how long ago did it come out? Like 90s? Well, Well, it happened then, but the docu-series came out within the last, I think it came out in March. I want to say. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was recent. And you watched it immediately. Yeah. I watched it. That's why I think it was like right after the first of the year, February, March, because mm-hmm. I was waiting for it to come out. Right. Yeah. Right. And 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 once it did, you talked about it a mm-hmm. lot. You said, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. Similarly to Abducted in Plain Sight. Yeah. And I didn't. And I didn't. And I didn't. And then two days ago, I watched it all in one sitting. And we are talking about the Lorena docuseries. Yeah. Lorena Bobbitt. Mm-hmm. The story about Lorena Bobbitt. And so I am I am proud slash ashamed to admit that I did watch all of it in one sitting, and it was probably like five hours. Yeah, it's long. I mean, it's a series. Right. Right. But I think watching it back-to-back like that, I just got very, very invested. So I'm excited to kind of unpack some of that. It's easy to binge watch it because it's... So interesting. It's really interesting. So I, I kind of did the same thing. I watched it over like a couple of days. Yeah. So it, I really, I couldn't have just like it turned it off. You. And, yeah, it does. You can't just like walk away from it and not come back for a week. Yeah. And Anna, yeah. you watched it as well. Yeah. I watched it and I think because I'm so new to this environment, it, it was just such an eye-opening experience because I'm here as an intern, but actually seeing it happen elsewhere and it was it was pretty eye-opening and Mm -hmm. sad yeah what struck me the most is is I just remember I was not like super conscious of the whole thing because I wasn't I was really young or not alive when this happened um but I do remember in my childhood it being like a joke yeah and there would be I just remember going to these like like some sort of show or something and always I went like every year and there was always a Lorena Bobbitt joke yeah I was like oh (laughs) but I didn't know what that was 
I just knew, oh, like, she was she was the girl that, that cut the guy's penis off. Yeah, like, that's how I was, too. I didn't know who, I didn't know the story until I started working at SAFE. And then I was on online looking at something, and there was an article about Lorena Bobbitt. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that this woman was a, a DV survivor. I just thought she was a crazy woman who went nuts and cut her husband's penis off. Right. That's what I, cause it was a joke. Like yes. everybody just made a joke of it when I was a kid. Um, and I was, I don't, I was really young when it happened, but like you growing up, right? it was just always a ha ha thing. Yeah. Like the butt of every joke. Yeah. And it no is not funny. Like when no. you know the story, Wow. And then, so then it came out and I was like, oh yeah. And even, I guess before, I guess when Farron started talking about it, I hadn't really thought about Lorena for quite a long time. And then you started talking about it and you're like, oh yeah, well actually it's domestic violence. And I was like, oh duh. Mm -hmm. Like that makes perfect sense. And so I thought, oh, domestic violence is at play here. But I didn't even understand the severity of the violence until I watched it. Yeah, I didn't either. Because I didn't watch her trial or anything, Mm -hmm. obviously. So I didn't know how bad it got. Yeah, me neither. Well, give us a rundown on on kind of the story and then we can talk about it. So I did. So I watched it. Fill me in if I'm wrong on anything. Because it's been a minute since I've seen it. Um, So Lorena was from Guatemala? Venezuela? Venezuela. Venezuela. Um, and she was a nail tech, right? Actually, she was from one place and then I think she moved. Her yeah, family her moved. her family moved. So I don't know. Venezuela was one of them. I don't know if it was first or second. Yeah, but she met this guy, John Bobbitt, while she was living in the United States. Right. So, yeah. This is coming back to me. So, she went on vacation instead of having a quinceanera because she said her family was not super rich. Right. And so for her quinceanera or her 16th birthday, they went on a vacation to the United States. She fell in love. She's like, this is the dream. This is where I want to be. I want my American dream. This is what's going to happen. So fast forward, she graduates from high school and day one, she immediately moves to the United States. So she is 18 and she is in the United States living with a family friend. Mm -hmm. And she meets this Marine. Mm Mm-hmm. Who's very handsome. Yes. Very, very handsome. Charismatic. um, And falls in love with him. And they had a really great dating relationship. They dated, um, I think they were together a year when Mm -hmm. they got married. And she... Um, saved her virginity for when they got married. Yeah, she she was like she, she, she was very values. traditional, high values, and their dates were chaperoned. Yeah, and like, he was, you know, from all accounts, even from her, said you know he was nice. He was he was really respectful of her, of her culture, mm-hmm. um, and so they got married. And quickly after that it became abusive. Yeah, I can't remember how long. Yeah, I just remember it it was amazing how quickly it changed from I, he, having been together for a year. I want to say like between 4 and 7 yeah, months. Yeah, it was quick. Yeah. And he became very very physically, verbally, emotionally, sexually And I think abusive. I think how it started is he couldn't really hold a job. No, he was a huge loser. Right. Huge loser. So he was in the Marine Corps, but then he got out, and he never could hold a job. Mm-mm. She was working to try to make ends meet as a nail tech, which probably wasn't making mm-hmm. much money. Right. And, and I think she had to pay for everything. She had to pay for everything. And I think the first time he hit her, 
They were in the car driving with his brother. Right. And the brother was in the back seat. And he was driving really fast and crazy. And I think he was was drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he drank a lot. And Lorena had told him to stop. And he hit her. Yeah, because while he was driving, he was like swerving all. Yeah, he was over driving road, like an idiot, like driving like eighty or ninety miles an hour, and she like reached over to try and stabilize the steering wheel. Right, and he freaked out. Yeah, and, and punched he her punched hard her hard in, her in the, chest. the chest. Yeah, and she cried, and the brother just didn't say anything. Like that was normal to him. Yeah, not only that, but the brother was like quiet, but like nodding, like yeah, yeah, keep keep her in right. Line. Like it was clear that the brother wasn't upset that this had happened yeah he was with it yeah he was um and so then it seemed like after that it just became really constant um constant abuse yeah at one point I remember her saying that she again I I don't know exactly all the details but she had gotten pregnant oh this was really right and he berated her and told her how terrible of a mother she would be and how they basically he forced her to have an abortion right mm-hmm. right and it didn't feel that way to her but no. that's kind of looking back at it, it it is what it is because yeah she so she got pregnant she was really excited and she's like this is what's gonna fix us mm-hmm. this we can like start she a wanted to be a here. mom and he said like you are gonna be a terrible mom mm-hmm. and constantly criticized her abilities of being a good mom right 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 and then he said like we both know this isn't gonna work let's do the right thing and go get an abortion and by that point he was so scary that she couldn't say no yeah he was so scary and so basically it was a horrible relationship super super abusive and one night he went out drinking and he had a friend with him they were li- he was living he was with living them. there and Lorena was home in bed asleep and he came home which he did a lot of nights wasted mm-hmm. in the middle of the night and he raped her yeah and hearing her testify about that <sighs> was i would say if you haven't seen it obviously there's a trigger warning there but it was heartbreaking it was even as seasoned advocates who hear women talk about being beaten and sexually assaulted all the time. It was really hard. It felt different. It felt different because of how vulnerable and small she looked up there talking about this. And I think, I think too, that this is just my thought. I'm not quite sure, but you're right. Like we hear stuff like this all the time Mm -hmm. and we hear graphic. And it's not that it's not upsetting. No graphic accounts of, of sexual assault and domestic violence and strangulation and child abuse and we hear terrible things and so I didn't expect to be impacted in in the same way because I have a lot of practice um, not responding emotionally to that because that's not helpful and I think for me in thinking about it there's a huge difference in sitting in a small warm room like we have um, just me and another person hearing this terrible thing Um, that's a safe space. We have a safe space. I think it felt so unsafe to me to have her tell these horrible things in front of the whole jury, the Mm -hmm. prosecutors. Mm -hmm. He was there. It was not safe. It was not supportive. And, and you could tell she felt that. Yeah. 
She crumbled. And almost judgmental as well. Yes. I can, I mean, can you imagine just sitting in front of a crowd of people talking about how you were raped? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By your husband. By your own Especially husband. Especially in the 90s. Exactly. When all of the media and all of the commentators on the news were talking about how she was just a psycho. And so anyway, getting to the trial and why everyone said she was psycho, he raped her. And she had been planning to leave him. Mm-hmm. She had filed a protection order, or she had gone to talk about filing a protection order that day and hadn't filed it yet. But she but was, remember that? She, she was, was going, going to. to. And it wasn't her fault that and it wasn't she, filed. No, it's it was... The person who wasn't received, there. Yeah, the person who received that paperwork was, was at gone. lunch or something. Right, so she didn't file it, but she was ready to file. So after he raped her, he passed out because he's drunk. So she goes to the kitchen to get a glass of water. And, Let's just say, like, this this rape was... He had been raping I mean, he her was, all along. Oh, yeah, like, every, all the but time. this was a particularly and violent rape. And he anally and vaginally raped her all the time. And she said and, that there was, there, there was injury, there oh, was yeah, blood. Oh, yeah, she would... Ble- I mean, and he would threaten to sodomize her because he, he had done it before. I think he did he it early it. on in their wedding, like, right after they got married. And so she said that when he would get mad at her, he would threaten to do that to her all the time. And so she, that was part of how, why she would just let him have sex with her because she was worried that he would sodomize her again. Mm -hmm. So she went to the kitchen to get a drink of water and she sees a knife on the counter. And she said she kind of just, she felt so angry. Like she said, she just felt so enraged about what he had been doing to her and before she knew it, she had this knife in her hand. And she kind of blacked out. And she kind of blacked out. She went to the bedroom. She pulled down the sheets and she cut his penis off. All of which she has no memory of. Right. And then she left. Right. And took it with her, the penis, and threw it in a field. Drove away and threw it in a field and went to her, where she worked. I yeah. think she went to the nail salon. And and I think that's a huge indicator. I a huge part of the conversation was did she do that? Did, did she, she do it knowingly right. or was she in like an impaired mental state? Right. Was she temporary insanity type thing? Yeah, and I think that what happened afterward is so telling of that. Like if you commit a crime, she so it's very detailed how she explains like she kind of comes back to consciousness almost while she's driving and she just remembers driving to work mm-hmm. and she doesn't remember throwing the penis out the window. She doesn't remember any of that. She's just driving to work and she kind of comes back to it when she's almost at the parking lot of the nail salon she works at. And still she, she doesn't really understand what's going on. She's just like, I'm just going to go to work. So it was in the middle of the night. Yeah, It was really, it was dark. Yeah. Like early, early morning hours. And there was something in her head that was like, it's time to go to work. I.e., like, she had no understanding of what was going on. No. It was like, this is what we do in the morning, kind of just, like, going through the routine of that. And so she went to open the door, and th- there's no talk of unlocking the door no. either. right. So I think, I think she had no idea of time or space in this moment. No. She went to open the door, and she's like, why, like, what, it wasn't working mechanically. And she realized that she had this bloody knife in her hand, mm-hmm. and, and she freaked out. And she threw the knife in the garbage. Right. Because she's like, what has happened? Yeah. And immediately she went to the police. And I think it started coming back a little bit. Yeah. Of she's trying to like put the figure out together. what happened. Right. And she's like, I don't know what happened. Right. So she went to the police and she reported a sexual assault. Right. 
And in the meantime, he's bleeding. I mean, can you imagine? They showed pictures of it on the documentary. Super graphic. It was very graphic. And so his friend takes him to the hospital. And long story short, they call in like a urologist and all these specialists to sew it back on. All these cops have to go out into this field to look for his penis. They find it. They put it on ice. They take it to the hospital. They get it put back on. So John is saved, right? Yes, which is great news. Yeah, which is great. Um, And Lorena gets charged with... What did she get charged with? It was like... Uh, mutilation? Something. Some kind of mutilation. Mutilation of a private. It was something like that. Aggravated mutilation or something? Yeah, it had mutilation in the title. I'm not quite sure. And so... But he was charged with sexual assault. He was charged with sexual assault. And so there were two trials. Because, because... When she went to the ho- to the police to report it, they took her to the hospital immediately to get a, a kit, a kit. exam, done, right. a rape kit, and there was buco evidence of sexual assault. Yeah, there were injuries, and so there was a lot of evidence to. And they charged that, him. That was like this didn't go the way that normal, right? Lovely marital sex goes. Right. Yeah, they charged him, right. and so there were two separate trials, um, and his was first. The sexual assault trial was first. So at this point, the news is kind of having a heyday because there's these two crazy, uncommon things. Like, being charged with marital rape, super uncommon. Especially in 1990, what? Three? Yeah, it was early 90s. Right. So that within itself is kind of like a, hmm. Is that possible? Marital rape? And then her story is taking off like crazy. She is this psycho woman who cut off her husband's penis because she was crazy jealous. Yep. And this is what the news is picking up on. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a fiasco. Yeah. People from all over the country are flying in to cover this news case. Be to there cover for this trial court and, case. and see. Yeah. Yeah. And they really they really um, played up the like the Latina, the fiery Latina mm-hmm. thing with her. Yep. They painted her as jealous and irrational and that when when she went to report the sexual assault she was trying to explain what happened and she was still in this completely like traumatized state of not knowing what was going on and she was just putting together pieces of things that were like this is what I remember and when that comes together in a police report it it looks a lot different as saying like this is what happened versus like these are the pieces of the story I remember right so the police report that they lo- that they used in the case like looked a lot like that her saying I was really mad I was really really mad like he she said something about how when they have sex he's very selfish and he never ever cares if she enjoys it right and so she was mad that's and that's that's kind of she, what came across yeah that's report. what came across and so all these prosecutors were like. Like this crazy, crazy Mexican Okay, woman. so she's mad yeah. that she didn't have an orgasm, so she cut her husband's penis off. Right. And I think that was basically said in the doc multiple times by yes. his people. It seemed like it was not important. It, well, it didn't... That the they, rape they, was yeah, completely just... They completely like, covered it by something so uh, different than what really happened. They used racist, sexist arguments. Totally. Totally. And it worked. It did. It worked because he was acquitted. Yeah. So he was not charged with it. He was not found guilty. Right. But a couple of months... Well, this is this part really steamed me up just a touch. Because 
So the, it was scheduled to be like a month later or something. A few weeks later was the following trial to determine whether or not um, she would face criminal charges for her, yeah, her, her mutilation or whatever, right? Because she was facing criminal charges. Right, right. Yeah. But this had become such a media fiasco that originally they said no cameras in the courtroom. We're not televising this. It's not going to happen, the judge said. But eventually with proper... Uh, persuasion the judge finally was like okay we're gonna record this whole thing now it was set to be to go to court in december in december right but the media whoever these news people were that were going to televise the whole thing were like well nobody watches tv in december because it's the holidays and people are out building snowmen and doing christmas shopping or whatever so we're gonna get this pushed to january and so I don't remember what it was. There was some sort of uh, legal action that was taken that pushed the the hearing to January, which to me is insane. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Yeah, because people, it's not about people. Why was it so important that people watch? Who gives a shit if people watch? This right. woman has the right to a speedy trial. Right. It's well, not about like your news coverage and the fact that there was some legal action that was taken like they filed an injunction or something to request more evidence or some something like that happened and how does the media have so much control in the the court proceeding that's like that's insane to me right but they did right and so then the court the court case is happening so then it's a total fiasco yep so we have it was they said it was very competitive to get people in the room and it was like it by invite only, I guess. It just makes me feel like it's such a drum, drama show. To right, like, you have to compete to be in a trial. Like it's it's a prize to see this woman, you know, right. in her most vulnerable state. It's right, just, which is probably why it felt so uncomfortable watching her testify. Is because like people were not there to support her; they were there to make her a headline. Yeah. And that's something, and then every night she was on the news. Right. And that's something that we also didn't mention, but is really important, is that she didn't really get to testify in the same way in the sexual assault trial because the judge made a ruling that no previous abuse or assault could be impacted right. in the so case. So nobody knew that he was that John was like this right. until the mutilation stuff. So as trial. far as as far as they were concerned for the first hearing for the first trial it was just like this one incident. Right. We're looking at this thing. Right. But in this second trial she was able to discuss the years the of history abuse, of abuse. Abuse and assault that had happened. And so essentially this was a battered a battered woman syndrome case right right they were trying to say that because of Lorena's the defense was trying to say that because of the severe abuse and the trauma that she had experienced that this was a you know a a textbook case of battered women syndrome where she lashed out in defense of herself against her perpetrator did not premeditate this self-defense self-defense and you know it was I feel like that was right around when battered women syndrome was really coming into the news. Mm-hmm. It was like in the early nineties. It was, yeah. And it was and psychologists and psychiatrists agreed that it was a real thing, that like the trauma impact could create this temporary loss of insanity of sanity and cause Mary. somebody to do this. And so they had all these psychiatrists testifying, expert witnesses testifying right. that Lorena was 
Well, and that was that was the question though, is that most of the psychiatrists and the psychologists were unsure. Yeah. They were unsure. They're like this it was clear. So the way they had the trial set up, it they had witness after witness after witness testify of bruises and abuse and shady behavior and him berating or yelling there was no doubt in anyone's mind this was an abusive relationship there were so many witnesses to that and no one questioned it at one point they had those boys Mm -hmm. who actually talked on the dock Yep. Um, who John's friends. Yeah, and they were younger than John. Right. And he had talked about how he... I mean, it was really graphic and disgusting, but essentially how he thought it was fun to make women be in pain during sex and make women bleed during sex. And he made a lot of rape jokes and a lot of, like... He was disgusting. And they talked about that in the trial. Right. Like, he said some stuff that they were, like, appalled by. Right. That these and boys these, were, like... Like, 18-year-old yeah, boys that, were, like, whoa. whoa dude. Like, <laughs> what, what are you? Like, what's that? happening? Yeah. And so they talked about that in the trial. And then she gets up... And testifies about her abuse. And that was... And it's heartbreaking. Oh, my God. It is it was heartbreaking. so heartbreaking. We need to talk about the Latino population and how they rallied for Lorena. Yeah. Because I can't remember exactly how that came to be. I remember. Great. So you should talk about it. So it. Yeah, because so I just remember it being very... Um, it was really powerful as a Hispanic woman. It was powerful to watch so, that. Yeah. So what happened was that this was getting a ton of news coverage, right? Well, along with that, one of the people that was a, a Latina woman was kind of following the story and it was in the sexual assault trial and she heard them pinning everything that was going on on her being like a fiery Latina woman and she was just irrational. She just she was, was quick tempered. Quick tempered. Yeah. All of these things that people pin on Latina women, you know? Mm-hmm. And she was like, um, what? Mm-hmm. And so what she did was she went to a Hispanic music channel. Right. That was the in, radio station. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The radio station. And she's like, what? Like, we need to support Lorena. Mm-hmm. And so they made an announcement or something about what was happening and they kind of did some advocacy over the radio and what happened was amazing Mm -hmm. during her trial her trial not john's right so they had like the month or whatever right to plan this kind of coordinated yeah these people started coming in in really high numbers hispanic the hispanic population they were traveling from they were traveling miles and miles and miles and just be there for her because I think the only people who were in the courtroom were the media. Like, they couldn't be inside. But they were all outside the courthouse holding up signs for mm-hmm. her. And at some point they were playing music. Playing music. And they singing. were talking. To, they were yelling messages at her in Spanish. The part that really got me emotional, I, I will say I cried during this part With for sure. Lady. But the thing that really got me was that they... So they said that a lot of these people that were coming were pretty disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a ton of money to get there. Yeah. And so cabs started transporting people for free mm-hmm. because they had a parent who mm-hmm. was abused or mm-hmm. because they believed in what was happening. Mm-hmm. And what the lady who kind of started this whole thing said was that they wanted people there and that was important. But the most important thing was that there were 
a massive amount of people there while she entered mm-hmm. and exited the mm-hmm. courtroom. Mm-hmm. So every time she left that building, there were, I'm like getting emotional mm-hmm. talking about this, but there were these crowds of cheering people. Mm-hmm. And if you sit in a courtroom with somebody poking at you all day saying like, you're a liar, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You assault people, you're a bad guy. So come out to that reception of people that say like we believe you, mm-hmm. we understand you, and but not we just love any you. kind of people. But they her looked own, like her, like her, yeah. the people they that she like grew her. up with, that right. she loved, and, and they spoke that her love language. Just yeah, that it, was powerful. That, that was. was so powerful. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I cried. That was like faith in humanity right there. Yeah. Was amazing. Um, and then John testified. In the trial. And by now, everyone's like, this guy's the worst. Well, the weird thing is... So they were not having any of it. It's weird because most people that were in this trial and observing this had observed the last one. Right. And they had no idea, because of the judge's orders on the first trial, that John was as big of a monster as he was. Right. And and John is like a a smooth-talking guy. And he's handsome. And and to this day, day, he has never admitted to abuse or assault. Not once. And so he sat there and he said that he had never hit. Never. Had never screamed. He would never. She was the one. She She would go crazy and hit him and yell at him. And she knew that he was going to leave her. Right. It was why she got mad and cut his penis off. And this was the story that was in the first case. Right. And people bought it. People did buy it. And so to hear this happening in the second case, people are like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I've been duped. Yeah. It is. It Everybody is. was like, mm, no. Right. So I don't think so, John. You're getting like less and less sympathy for this man. Totally. Right. Totally. If you're in the courtroom, however... The yeah, world the, the, still... And the news was just mm-hmm. ridiculous. The media right. coverage of it was just horrible. Right. Um, so the question truly was at this point... Yeah. All the psychologists were like, obviously this is abuse. Obviously you have PTSD. Obviously this has been terrible for you. However, did you have control over this action or did you not? Mm-hmm. Because if you had control over it... That's a crime. That's a crime. You're going to prison. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have control over it, then that's a mental health concern and you're going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And these are the two avenues for Lorena at this point. And except Lorena didn't know that. No, she didn't. She thought that if she was acquitted, she was going to go home to her family. Which is terrible. So so what happens is they, the, they everybody rests. The jury's deliberating. The jury comes back. Not guilty. Right. And she's like, great. And I'm she's free. like, Great. And then they're like, Fine. no, load up. We're going to the state hospital because yeah, you are crazy. Temporarily out insane. Of the courtroom and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, this she was very confused. So there was clearly a breakdown in communication with her attorneys because that was not explained well. But I thought it was fascinating because they interviewed jurors. And I remember one male juror in mm-hmm. particular who said, I don't know if he said, I mean, he said, we all knew, we all believed that John Bobbitt was horrible, the worst. And I believe there were several people on the jury who really did feel like it was premeditated. He said he He did. said, I don't believe she didn't know what she was doing, but I believe that he deserved it because that guy was a piece of shit. Yeah. That's basically what the jury yeah. thought. Like he, and he was one of the only they people didn't that feel, held out. Yeah. Everyone was like, okay, all right, this is how it's going to go. Yeah. But he held out. 
until the very last second. He's like, oh my gosh, fine, fine, send her to the hospital. But he basically said, like, we all agreed, like, even if she knew what she was doing, and even if she planned this, that guy deserved to get his dick cut off. Because he was the worst. And this is what leads me. That was fascinating to me. Was that fascinating to you? Yes. Because that was not what that was not. It's not about what you believe he deserved. That's not how. Okay. That's not how it works. Well, I'm going to. I'm not saying I'm upset about it. I'm just surprised that a jury would go that way. I agree with what you're saying. But I'm going to say that almost all sexual assault cases, it rarely comes down to like what is right and what is wrong. It's like no, what you believe happened. But I just, and how many the judge in, in jury instructions, the judge specifically tells you, orders you as a jury right, that you are not enough. allowed to base your verdict on emotion or feeling bad for somebody. It's about the, what the law is and what fair. evidence is presented. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying and I agree with you because that is what the law is. But how many sexual assault juries have come out saying like, yeah, I mean, I think it was like maybe maybe it was rape. Sure. But I didn't want that guy to go to jail forever just because of one thing. But I'm saying that usually the sensitivity is given to the the other person in that case okay so it's the way that the loyalties have swayed yeah Yeah, i was fascinated that that there were it was a pretty male heavy jury and that those men felt like he deserved that well i think it would have been impossible to be in that courtroom and not and not felt and not feel that that without a doubt Sexual assault and abuse had occurred. Sure, they marched witnesses. Oh, in they believe. And out I mean, they knew. And hearing her testimony, like that was that, that was like yeah. That. But then I just think that they did such a good job of they just made that jury hate him. Yeah, they just hated him, yeah, and they just yeah. really were like, I don't. This woman does not deserve to go to prison for this. This guy's the worst. Right. And then how I just hard that was fascinating. How hard is it for the jury, right? Who like leaves this jury case? And is out back in their normal life, and they just hear news after news after news after news about how the crazy the crazy lady who chopped the guy's penis off went went free. Mm-hmm. Poor John Bobbitt. So now, no justice for him. No justice for <laughs> so, John. So Lorena goes to the state hospital. Oh, this for, is where the story gets bit. so interesting for me. For a little bit, she wasn't. How long was she there? Forty-two days. Yeah, something, something like that. Days. So forty some days. Forty-five. Forty yeah. something. Yeah, and she's upset. Yeah. Justifiably so, because she's not crazy. But she, but she very has to sweet, go there, and she's very sweet, and she she's says, "You know what? Sweet. I can okay. hate this, or this I can than just prison. try and like have my life get back to where right. it was. It's better than going to prison." And she did talk about how she had a lot of PTSD when she was in the hospital. She did. She did a lot of her trauma ha- mm-hmm. like hit her hard mm-hmm. after the trial. So I almost Which think it makes sense. Been, like, it was probably good for her that she yeah. went there. It was really probably good for her. He. This is what I love. About John? This is what this John, is my favorite part of the story. Oh, so John has like a surgery done that ends up getting botched. So here's the thing. And well, his dick is all weird. Well, here's the thing about John is <laughs> and then, first and foremost, he is an entrepreneur. Oh, and yeah. He is as gonna are, make as the are money. many domestic violence perpetrators. Right. They are he the smartest people in the room, in smart every room. And charming, and yep. he is gonna play this world to to it, it's John, man. John yeah, is he's a character now. Right. He's, he's a celebrity. That, he's that guy. He's a celebrity, and everybody is happy to see him. Yeah, there he's was shaking like hands with everybody. Merch everywhere. Oh, yeah. He was signing autographs. He's at, like, WrestleMania. And he was he's loving He's doing it. porn. This is what I'm talking about. The porn. The porn. He did <laughs> porn. <laughs> I just cannot understand this. He's the this. biggest loser. I cannot understand he's the porn. He's such a loser. Honestly. Yeah, so... Uh, 
they made a pornographic film. Yeah. And they they interviewed like the producer and it was like one of the top grossing porn movies ever. And John like went to the premiere and it was like a whole thing. And to me that is hilarious. Mm-hmm. That is hilarious. Like what a dope. He's the worst. But it just shows his arrogance. Yeah. And he's just the most arrogant. Yeah. So, but at this point, like, he is just, like, living his life and trying to cash in on this whole experience. hmm And so, so he's doing porn movies, and he is, like, living the life. Pretty much a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. knows who this guy is. Just getting autographs, wanting to talk to him, wanting a picture with him, like... Really? Absolutely. Like, he is famous at this point, which is what lands him his next job. Okay. Right. The Bunny Ranch. The Bunny Ranch, baby. (laughs) So how many people have seen the Cat House series on HBO? Because that's the Bunny Ranch. I have never heard of the Bunny Ranch. So they sent cameras in there, and they did, like, a whole um, series. Not like a... It wasn't like a Keeping Up with the Kardashians type thing. It was more like a, let's follow these women around and see what they're like series. And so the Bunny Ranch is a brothel in Nevada. And um, all of these women work in this house and it was owned by this guy who his last name is Hoff and he's dead now. Um, he died recently. He ran for a political office and then died, but I think he still won. Anyway, it's Nevada. No offense <laughs> to anyone in Nevada, but, um, no, harsh. so we have listeners in Nevada. Okay, fine. I have relatives there. It's fine. So John goes to the bunny ranch to be a, like a personality at the bunny ranch. Yes, because, he's a celebrity greeter. Yeah. He's a greeter. And all these men come all the time to the bunny ranch to, you know, do whatever they do there. Right. We all know what they do. So John starts working there and he meets a girl at the ranch. Well, the thing who, is, too, though, is that they very, very soon, like, learn Well, they real because he's a drunk and he's obnoxious. Right. Like, they, so no one likes him. All of the girls that they interviewed were like, he's he got a crazy when he got drunk. Yeah, he was horrible. Right. And so he meets, he meets this girl at the bunny ranch. Desiree? Desiree. Yeah. And does she leave with him? Yeah. Does she, like, leave with him yeah, and go? they start kind of dating. They started dating. And he tells her, like, I really want to go back to my family, but I have no money. Oh, yeah, 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 This yeah, one yeah. girl cut my penis off one time. And, <laughs> and then like, I had surgery. And himself a victim. Botched. Like, I just, I yeah. really need your help, Des. Des. Like, let's get it, girl. Des, babe. Like, I want to I yeah. take on the world with you. Yeah. I'm a perp, and so I know how to charm you. Yeah. So <laughs> And he's still looking okay. I mean, because John Bobbitt is now gross and old. Right. But he was pretty good looking. Right, right, And so she's like, oh, okay. Sure, babe. Sure, John. So they leave together in the night, basically, because Mr. Hoff, the owner of the Bunny Ranch, is none too pleased. (laughs) (laughs) He was pissed. Because he's like, that guy stole from me. That's what he said. Like, that girl made me money, and he stole my property. Which is problematic in and of itself, and that's for another day. John, do not, do not come back to yeah, the bunny ranch. Don't you ranch. dare, because you stole my property. Our bunnies are no longer yours. Yeah, you stole my bunny. <laughs> so he leaves with her and holes up in an apartment with her, and then basically becomes psycho once again. Crazy, rapes her, beats her, ties her to ties a bed, ties her to a bed, hangs her over a stair rail. Yeah, for like a few days. Like this it is was like he crazy. held her captive for so like here's a the week. Thing. Here's how this story ends. And this is, like, we can, like, laugh and joke about how psycho he is and what an idiot he is. But this is how crazy. Yeah, like, he's also really dangerous. Because here's here's how it goes. He, she said for three days, 
for three days she was tied to that bed and beaten yeah. and raped repeatedly. Yeah. And the only way it stopped was she literally played dead. Yeah. She literally played Remember dead. That. And every time he walked into the room, she stopped breathing. Yep. And eventually he brought sheets yep. in and was going to wrap he, her up yep. and get rid and of her. Jump, yep. her. Yep. Yeah. I forgot about that. And so he unties her to wrap her body, her dead body, in a sheet. Right. Because he's like, this is no use to me anymore. Right. And she runs. Yeah. Wow, that was brave. Yeah. That was really brave. He oh, my gosh. Her. And for that, he got charged with domestic violence. Oh, right. Yep. So and he, he denies it. Right. To this he's day. like, no. Same thing no. with Lorena. Misunderstanding. Didn't do that. Really weird. Yeah. I don't know why all these people are trying to... to uh, ruin my good name and what's fascinating the name I built my porn career on what's fascinating about this doc is that John talks to the people that makes the doc the docuseries he talks to them he's of in course the whole he, thing of course he did because he's an arrogant asshole so he talks yes. he wants to be a part of it so but if you want people who don't know what batterers look and sound like if you want batterer 101 watch this documentary and watch john bobbitt because that is textbook batterer if you're it's just if you have the image in your head of someone who who is a perpetrator of domestic violence and you think like okay cigarette wife beater no trailer park yep that's the image that they put right yep that's not what it is it's john wayne it's yep bobbitt bobbitt thank you you're bobbitt textbook like hearing him talk right um and he's just sitting on a couch in his house by himself because he's alone because he's the worst Mm -hmm. and he has like his bat his bumper sticker on his car says like i don't know if it has his name on it or if it says something about trump on it but there was something about trump and him i think his license plate says like i think it says like or bob it it says bob Bob it and then he has like a he's just the worst yeah i agree yeah he's horrible (laughs) and so Towards the end of the series, she is talking, and she, I did a I did watch a ton of interviews with Lorena, like outside of the documentary, mm-hmm, okay. before like publicizing it. Oh, before, yeah, and she talks about how he still writes her letters, like love notes, and even wrote her one that was like we should. And so Lorena has a child and is oh, married now. I didn't know she had a child. She has like a fifteen year old daughter. Oh, and he writes her letters and is like we. Wouldn't it be romantic? And what would people think yes. if we got back together? Yes, he. Oh my gosh, I remember that. He calls her his forever flame. Oh my <laughs> gosh, his that forever is so flame. Sweet. What a cutie. <laughs> what a cutie. Oh my goodness. What a dream sickle. Oh my gosh, he is just like too much to comprehend. Too almost. much. And like Livy and I said, seriously, if you have not met a an abusive person, um. And you watch this, it is like... Eye-opening. It, yeah, it's it's watching an abuser. Because I always say, like, they are eerily similar to one another. Even when, right. like, they're completely different. Obviously different people. But their behaviors and their arrogance is eerily <sighs> and it's, the same. It's, it's weird because they're it's all like, the same. very few things can surprise you about... Right. Like, they can do weird stuff, but it's all rooted in the same crap. Like, right. if you think about it, it's like, yes, they're always going to break the phone. Yep. They're always going to get rid of the phone. Yep. Every, almost every client that we have comes in and their phone is broken, broken, broken. or they don't have it or whatever. Or they yep. took it. And so no matter how it. creative these idiots get, 
really, it all boils down to the same stuff every single time. And they are, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. That's right. Like are they John. own their own But They will, jobs, they will run or... that bunny ranch. <laughs> yeah. Right into the ground. <laughs> because they'll drink all the alcohol. <laughs> And steal property. Steal the bunnies. The girl, the girl that runs all the bunnies, I guess. I don't really know. Yeah, the madam. The like madam. The, she doesn't. She doesn't. She's not a prostitute. She's like the house mom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the house mom. Mom the says that bunny. she, she, always saw him on the same bar stool every time. Uh-huh. Like he had one bar stool. Uh-huh. It's like it's just like crazy. He's just he's he's horrible. Oh. And and it's and Lorena. She's so sweet, and she still has this very thick accent. Mm-hmm. And she's talking at the end, and she about him sending her these letters, and she has them spread out all over her the kitchen table. table. Mm-hmm. And she goes, "For God's sake, move on! I cut your penis off. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you want anything to do with she's me? Like, just leave me alone." <laughs> yeah, but she's like honestly, like just perplexed, and she's like, "I don't." But honestly, as advocates watching it, I'm like. That doesn't surprise me at all. at all. That he is that arrogant to think that she would want to be with him again no. after all of and, the shit that he put her through. And that's why that's why everyone that listens to this podcast knows how much Farron and I hate the like why doesn't she just leave thing. Right. But it's because of this. Like how many years has it been? Mm-hmm. Honestly, and he's still he's sending still stuck her love lives. Yeah. And she hurt him really badly. Like badly. Like like I mean, that's like the worst thing a guy could imagine happening to him. Attacking their manhood. Yeah, right. Sure. Literal, like, metaphorical, all of these ways. Like, she got him. She did get him. And still, he's not going to let her go. No. Because he's he still wants to have that power and that control over her. Right. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And I don't know what he does now, because he's not... I mean, these people aren't that old, no, and there's he, actually a recent 2020 special on the Bobbitt. I'm just curious what he does for they work. Don't, I don't know. Well, if he couldn't he hold does, a job back he then. Couldn't, he couldn't, and he probably could, can't yeah. now. But he's probably made a decent amount of money just with like his stupid PR, like being out with like the doing trashy batterer community. <laughs> yes. Doing yeah, that doing that events. <laughs> They all run conventions. around together. <laughs> Abuser convention. He's like keynote speaks at um, perpetrator conventions. Oh my god, he probably does. He's probably part of one of those men's rights groups. Actually, how do I go to a I perpetrator go. I don't know, but we should go. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not either. I would be nervous to go to a, a men's rights rally because I think we'd get God, to yeah. be honest. However, I think I could blend in at a perpetrator convention. I'd have to figure it out, but I think I could do it, and I really want to know what they say. (laughs) (laughs) It would be interesting. Yeah. All jokes aside, like, I I think this story is really very, very interesting, and it is very sensationalized, and there's a lot here, like we've talked about, but it definitely ties into something that Anna and I were talking about earlier when we talk about how um, domestic violence impacts us all, right? Right. Everyone, no one is exempt from experiencing domestic violence but i think there are a lot of different intricacies with different populations mm-hmm. um and it's interesting to think about how that plays out with survivors of domestic violence yeah right right yeah i think when you add that cultural aspect it may look different if you are looking at it from outside but i think with her situation the cultural aspect did you know play a role and i think that Seeing it now here as a you know intern here, a lot of our clients um, 
what I what I'm I don't see is our clients are not Hispanic and mm. they're not coming in to get resources and there's just a miscommunication or disconnection between the population and resources and I think that ha- it's not just Laramie, Wyoming. It yeah. must happen all over the place. Yeah, well, I think so- it's really easy to like is villainize a word. Yeah, I think it's really easy to villainize. Vilify. 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 I have a degree. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Vilify people who are minorities, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think it's really easy to... Discredit them. Discredit them. I think this is why R. Kelly got away with what he did for so long is because the majority, all of the girls that he was raping were black girls. And people talk a lot about that in in his docuseries about how, like these black women's lives matter. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's easy. It was easy for the media to paint her as this crazy Hispanic Latina. Overdramatic. Yeah. Um, And I think that that continues to be, especially when the abuser is white too. I think that that's an added, you know, it's hard enough for women in that population to seek services and get help when their abuser is also brown, right? But when their abuser is a white, attractive, charismatic... Marine soldier. Veteran. Yeah. Like John Bobbitt. Yep. Good old American boy. Sure. I mean, that's really difficult because he had all the power in that relationship. And And there was for a really long... She was an immigrant. Yeah. There were a lot of barriers for her. And I think um, now we see that more than, uh, you know, a lot mm-hmm. more than ever. Um, I'm Hispanic as well, and I see that in my own community because I grew up uh, with my aunt, you know, being uh, hit all the time by her husband. And it was to the point where and her husband was brown. Mm-hmm. And just to see how hard it was for her to get out of that relationship was tremendous. I can't even imagine being beat up by my boyfriend or husband that was white. Right. Like, all the odds are just already against me, but now Mm -hmm. I'm adding another aspect to it, which is race. Sure. And that's already worse now. And it's going to be even worse now after saying, he's hitting me. I mean, the chances are that I won't be believed, which, you know, just brings up a really important topic Mm -hmm. of how are we going to help these women or men that belong to a community that is not always understood Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. is not always seen as victims or you know may not always be the right survivor or the right victim so right Right. yeah they definitely i mean these marginalized groups certainly face a lot of barriers that other folks don't in receiving services and receiving justice and um it's it's pretty it's pretty tough and especially in this you know when this happened in the 90s i mean domestic violence shelters and programs were relatively new i don't even think vawa i don't know if vawa had been written yet okay it was one of the this is one of the things that kind of spurred yeah so um you know, the Violence Against Women Act wasn't even a thing at this time. So think of how far we've come. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's really important. I mean, I think it's a really important docu-series to watch. Um, it was really important at the time. It's, in, you know, 
it, it really impacted our our culture um, and this movement. So, and I just I would hope I guess my takeaway for this is two things: is number one, there's always barriers to receiving services. Mm-hmm. There always is. Sure, whether yes. it's the color of your skin, whether it's your background, whether it's whether you'll be believed, whether it's if you'll be safe to do it. Number one. So that's one part of this. And then number two, I just I think so frequently things get turned into jokes yeah. and made light of that that are really terrible. Mm-hmm. And I would just hope that the next time we hear about something crazy, like someone reacting in a crazy way, like for example this this lady cut off her husband's penis like that's kind of a crazy thing and it's easy to make jokes about that but I would just hope that for me at least that I'm more sensitive to that in the future because I think it's easy to make jokes about something when you really don't understand the severity of what's happening yeah it overshadowed everything I even called my mom after because obviously she was my mom was like in her 30s and I said do you remember this and do you Mm -hmm. remember how big of a fiasco it was and how she was villainized like she was, vilified. Vilified. And my mom was like, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. So, but I just feel like the horror that people felt Mm -hmm. of this poor guy getting his penis cut off totally overshadowed what what happened to her. And I would say the trauma that she was, that was inflicted upon Lorena Bobbitt was exponentially greater than what poor John Bobbitt dealt with with his penis. Yeah, I think so, for sure. I'm just going to say that. I agree As a sexual you. assault and a DD professional. 100%. I don't feel any... I don't give a shit about John Bobbitt. Yeah. How about the rest of you? Um, with you. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. With you. <laughs> Do you think you're alone? <laughs> Maybe I just sound really burnt out right now. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. Uh, he is, uh... He's awful. Garbage. Garbage person. Garbage person. Garbage person. Garbage Absolute person. trash. Garbage life. Yep. Absolute trash. And I'm so glad that she is married and... Having is, a happy life. Yeah. She like, actually works now with domestic she violence does. survivors. She does. Oh, sorry. Survivor what advocacy What is that thing stuff. I love? There it is. Yeah, there it goes. Survivor <laughs> advocacy. Survivor advocacy. Yeah, she's doing it. Well, thank you for listening to this terrible story. Um, thank you for going along this journey with us. And, yeah. And I uh, hope to see you again next week. If you do need help or support, you can always call Safe Project. Whether you're in the area or not, we can connect you with the resources you need. Yeah. Um, give our hotline a call. Yeah. 307-745-3556. Yep. And uh, if you watch this Lorena docuseries mm-hmm. and need to, like, go, oh, my gosh, holy cow, I have to debrief this with someone, you can email us. Also, just so know true. it's a big trigger. Yeah, it's very triggering. Yeah, it is. So. It is. And lest you think you shouldn't watch it anymore because we've given you spoilers, this is not that kind of a show. No. The spoilers that you got in this, it's still worth it to yep. go back. Yeah. Um, we gave a spoiler warning in front of Astounded in Plain Sight. Yeah, Abducted, abducted in, plain in Plain Sight. I was like, wait, no. <laughs> but that's what our title. podcast was titled. <laughs> but no, this is still worth going and watching. So please totally. go and watch it and give us a call or an email and we can talk it through and see if we missed anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, have a wonderful weekend. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.